Rise and shine, Mr. Freeman. Be careful of what you do. Big Brother is watching you. You say that you got me all in the mobile. Rather than offer you the illusion of free choice, I will take the liberty of choosing for you. Welcome to the Hurricane Labs podcast for Splunk Second Edition. I'm Bill Matthews. I'm Tim Baldwin. I'm Kelsey Clark. And I'm Cameron Schmidt. Cameron! And today's topic, I suppose, is, uh, uh, well, our bigger topic is uh, Splunk Cloud. We're going to talk a little bit about that, the good, the bad, and the ugly-ish, I guess. But uh, up first, I wanted to kind of make Kelsey talk about some of the events and things because she always likes to stick them at the end. But some of them are actually pretty useful. So I figured we'd talk about them up front. All right. Uh, so last month, February, if I can say that correctly, um, we hosted a couple Splunk user groups here in Cleveland. And then we had one in Pittsburgh. Both had awesome turnouts. And I guess that's what you'll get when you have free beer. But who knows? Um, here in Bunch Cleveland, of alcoholics. I know. <laughs> Here in Cleveland, we had a couple of Splunk people. We had Chris Bauer and Guy Weaver, and also we had one of our own, Jeremy Nenadal, one of our Splunkers, and they covered quite a few topics. They talked about what's new with ES 6.3. There were other discussions about advantages of ES, along with live demos, and then Jeremy talked about deployment server basics. And then we had a roundtable discussion. So it was really uh, it was really great. Everyone was engaged and positive for kind of like our kickoff for 2016. And then in Pittsburgh, we had Brian Greppi from Splunk and then Andy Johnson from Heimark Health Solutions. Again, a lot of what's new with 6.3. Brian also did a Discover Your Data presentation that included several unique search commands that'll help Splunkers determine the relevant value they can gain from unfamiliar data sources. And then Andy talked about some of the lessons he learned through ES deployment. So anyway, yeah, those are kind of, those were more presentation-based, but we're looking forward to doing some different types of ideas, presenters, maybe some more hands-on activities. So Yeah, really, it's a user group, not a Hurricane Labs tells you how they use Splunk group. You guys are supposed to get involved. Exactly. So really looking for any ideas. I know we, from those two user groups, we had quite a few different ones for the future. So you can email me at kelsey at hurricanelabs.com for any ideas. That'd be awesome. And uh, yeah, I guess... Real quick, I'll wrap this up. Coming up, we've got some Splunk Lives that we'll be at. So we'll be at the Charlotte the Charlotte one on March 29th, Atlanta in April, and then Chicago in May. Yeah, none of those are local, by the way. I just, no. I just wanted to point that out. Yeah. They're in any, case, everywhere else. In case anyone thought there was a Chicago, Ohio, I don't believe there actually is a Chicago, <laughs> no. Ohio. <laughs> so if you want to stop by and if you're in those areas, if you want to stop by and see some of the cool things, or not see, hear about some of the cool things Hurricane is doing with Splunk and that we can also be doing for your enterprise, come on out and visit. So, Yay. Yeah. So we had um, Enterprise Security 4 has been out for a little while, so I wanted to kind of talk about that mainly because it's, uh, it's the Splunk product we use more than pretty much anything. So 4 has some interesting features in it, one of them being its... Uh, it's timeline investigation, and we're only really using that in 
in one at one client. They're they're really interested in using it, but it works surprisingly well. It has a couple of little weirdnesses that I don't like. Um, like you can't archive or close the case; you have to delete it, which is just weird for a forensics tool. But I think they're going to be fixing that. But I like that thing. Um, I like it a lot. I like to be able to. Basically, what you could say is, okay, we had this event happen, and then you can add logs into the timeline. So you can say, so this thing started at 9.55, and then they did this at 10.05, and they did this at you know, 10.30, and then you can get an export of it uh, to put into your you know, breach report or incident report. So it's kind of nifty. Next podcast, I'll be able to talk about the uh, overlay that we're doing for our engineers um, over top of ES that basically allows it to integrate not only with ES, but with our various data sources that we have out there that we use for investigations and everything. So it'll be a really interesting talk. Can't talk about it yet primarily because it's not done. So I try not to talk about anything until it's done. So that's that's kind of nice. Uh, Tim's favorite new feature is? Yeah, my favorite new feature actually comes from the uh, SIM TA that comes with uh, ES4. Uh, and the cool thing about it is that there are macros for each of the data models where you can define what indexes the data is in so that it's not searching over your, the entirety of your data. It can be a little bit more specific and run a little bit more efficiently. And hopefully the data models will actually complete. So as, as opposed to searching a data model for source type equals OPSEC over every single index, you basically say, all of my firewall data is in index OPSEC and maybe index Cisco, and you can do more than one. So it really narrows down the search and speeds things up. It's helped us quite a bit in a number of places. Absolutely. So it's a really nice feature. Just a totally technical thing that people need to know about because it's not really a Splunk problem, but it is a, it is a problem. When you have scripted inputs or you have scripted really anything, but primarily in scripted inputs in Splunk, on a Linux system, when you kill it, when you, when you stop Splunk or you're trying to restart it, sometimes those processes hang. This is, it's not abnormal behavior in the Unix world, but it happens a lot with Splunk. So when you do that, when you have that, so we have one like with SourceFire where uh, one of the guys was making like furious changes to something, but it wasn't taking effect. It was because it was still running. Splunk doesn't restart them because it was still running. And so you have to stop Splunk, kill those processes, and then restart it. Uh, this is just, if it, it doesn't matter if it's a Perl script, Python script, whatever the scripted input is, uh, you do have to do that. It is a known thing, but it doesn't seem that known because some people who really know Splunk don't seem to know that. So I figured I'd throw that out there. Yeah, that's a really big thing that we spend a lot of time investigating. Why isn't this working? Yep. It's because you didn't kill the process. Yep. I mean, I think a lot of people probably don't think to even look because Splunk does, when it's shutting down, tell you that it's killing all the processes. It, it does. And it kills all the processes that, that it, it started about. necessarily, like for Splunk, but it, it does not sometimes kill those. Now, sometimes it does, and it works just fine, but those are very long-running processes, and Unix is, while Unix is fairly great at it, it's not, it's not the best sometimes. So I think it's just something they didn't, uh, they didn't count on. Someday when I'm old, I'm going to, or older anyway, I'm going to uh, fix that in Unix. But I'm not that old yet. Yeah, are you like 80? I don't know. I'm like at least 80 right now. <laughs> so. Um, so in the next podcast, there will be someone the new. Kelsey will be replaced. So that'll be awesome. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> Good job. Uh, so our, our bigger topic today, though, is Splunk Cloud. So 
We have opinions. We always have opinions. <laughs> um, I think overall, it's it's probably a net positive for most of our clients um, because I mean, look, the number one issue you're going to have, and you're going to have this with any big data solution, not Splunk, not just Splunk. I, I know this because I've got to buy hardware for different big data solutions. Hardware, no matter what people tell you, they tell you all the time, oh, storage is cheap. Don't worry about that. Storage is not cheap. Cheap storage is cheap. Good storage, fast storage, it is not cheap. And that's what you need. So Splunk Cloud is great for that. So you got, you know, a terabyte worth of data or probably a couple hundred gigs worth of data that you need to stick somewhere. You don't have to buy the hardware. There's no upfront investment in it. It's kind of nice. There are some hangups. I think you'd have similar ones with any cloud solution, but I don't know that they're all necessarily avoidable. How about that? How does that make sense, Cameron? Yeah. yeah. Cameron, Cameron is very angry. Furious. Uh-oh. Only because he has to work with uh, Splunk Cloud every day. Um, Go ahead. That's a segue. That's your segue. It's as good okay. as I can do, man. I'm not a professional This is Cameron's rant sash special section. There by the way, <laughs> Hurricane Labs takes no responsibility for whatever it is he's about to say, and we might have to bleep the entire segment. <laughs> well, I think the reason why I, would, I, I see things so negatively is because I don't work with the admin stuff. So the, the pros of Splunk Cloud, they don't even affect me. That's, that's correct. The, I, I, won't, I don't manage it either way. So if it's easier to manage, it doesn't make a difference for me. Well, it's easier to say, hey, Splunk Cloud, upgrade those indexers, rather than us saying, hey, Joe, (laughs) spend the weekend upgrading all the indexers. So it is much easier from that regard. Um, So most of the the issues that I've seen with it, I'm I'm optimistically saying are temporary. It's a growing pain sort of thing. uh, One of the big things is... um, Splunk is designed in a way that a lot of things cannot be edited through the UI. A lot of, I would say the majority can be, but if you work with it long enough, you'll find some things where you just will not be able to do it without SSHing in or somehow editing the configuration files, and you can't do that through the UI. Um, some of the more common uh, instances of that is if you have a lookup table and you want to set it to wildcard match or cider match, can't do that through the UI, at least I haven't found a way to. Um, with ES, um, some of the threat lists, I don't think you can... You can define threat lists through the UI, but not... Um, you can't set all of the options that you have available to you unless you're using the actual config files. Um, some apps are just completely configurable through config files, and you can't even change anything through the UI, so you have to create tickets that to uh, Splunk Cloud to get that done. Kind of on top of that, some modular inputs, are they'll have special parameters that you just can't set through the UI. And then the biggest issue that... If, if that's the case, they're very poorly written modular inputs. <laughs> yeah, Cause, well... Cause that's the whole point of the modular input is that you can expose that stuff through the UI. It, so... I, I totally agree That's with you. That's not good. It's it's definitely not good, but I've seen it. That might be more of a developer problem than I'm not not. <laughs> I mean, this is Cameron's rant session, but um, uh, I, that might be more of a whoever built the app problem than it is a true Splunk Cloud issue. Yeah, maybe. Uh, no, I I completely agree. But the world we live in is we rely on a lot of apps 
developed yes. by a lot of people. Yep. Sometimes developed like three years ago. So the the last issue I've got is definitely definitely this more than anything else I think is a growing pain. I think um, it it is rapidly getting fixed um, and and should be in the coming weeks. But especially in our ES customers that use Splunk Cloud, pretty much everyone has been having issues with just being not powered, it's just being underpowered in general. Um, I'm not exactly sure why this is. My guess is Splunk Cloud has not, was not uh, giving extra power to the, the search heads that were going to be running ES. They were specking them as if they were just a regular search head, but the reality is ES adds 50-some-odd scheduled searches plus it accelerates like 10 data models, and that's going to add a whole lot of load to your system. A whole lot. So what we've seen is a lot of saved searches not running, data models, data model acceleration falling behind, but the response from Splunk Cloud has been nice. It would have been nice if... The machines were, you know, up to par right when we got them. But, you know, as, as soon as we pointed out to them, they, they say, that's a problem. We're going to work on upgrading those. And that's, I, I think the last I heard, they, all of our ES customers, they're going to, they're planning on reviewing all of them to make sure they're up to snuff. So. And now, welcome to the most positive thing about any cloud. All this stuff is fine, but the most positive pro is what you just said. Yeah. So... If I'm a customer, and I, I am a Splunk customer, and I tell Tim, hey, Tim, build me a Splunk infrastructure, and Tim decides that day he's bad at math, whatever, and he undersize it, well, now what do I have to do? I have to buy new hardware. I probably have to reinstall it somewhere. I'm going to have downtime because that. With this, basically, they're going to set up new indexers, set up new search heads, or probably new search heads in parallel, and we're just going to make sure everything works, and then we're going to cut over to them. It's really hard to do that with on-premises stuff. So, as just as speaking as a customer, I I like it. It's it's less of a uh, overall. I like it. I mean, yeah, of course you have problems. Everyone has problems, but yeah, it's definitely nice just to hear it's being upgraded, and then we can just go do other stuff while I've, that's happening. I've been so when we first started working with Splunk Cloud, getting them to do anything took forever. Yes, getting an app installed getting you know these resources upgraded it took forever i've noticed in the last probably just in the last month that app installs take a couple of days versus a couple of weeks um, these resources issues i mean we have resource issues exactly like this on most of our on-prem customers yep. oh yeah because uh, es sizing is hard right you have to size the search head properly and you have to size the indexers properly without knowing how that particular customer is actually going to end up using the product. Right. Uh, and, and keep in mind when they, uh, when 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 you buy this stuff. So if you let's say you go and you're like, I think I think don't quote me on this, but I think on the uh, website like Splunk Cloud website, I think you can buy up to like a hundred gig like right on the website. So all that stuff is just like a default template that is being built out. Again, I'm a little more compassionate probably because I've been on the receiving end of all of this. But, you know, they're, they're trying – it's like a one-size-fits-all sort of approach. Like the one customer we're dealing with now, you know, they have this miserable um, – uh, <laughs> well, it can't really decide what it wants to be, but it's like a miserable um, AV or maybe it's intrusion detection or maybe it's 
something else. It's a net, maybe it's a network device. It doesn't really know what it wants to be. And I would say it's name, but I'm thinking maybe it's because we're misunderstanding it. So I'm going to be fair about it. But in Splunk Cloud's defense, they can't plan for that because the customer is going to roll out like 26,000 of them uh, of that agent. And all of a sudden, that's 26,000 more things giving us data. That's really hard to plan for in any sort of automated fashion. So I can cut everybody a little bit of slack on that. The other thing that, that I've noticed is when we talk to them about sizing, often what they'll say is, oh, that was built with the old template. Well, yes. And also keep in mind, sizing in Amazon, because they're, they're running everything in Amazon Web Services, is entirely different science than sizing with physical hardware. It just is. Yeah. I, uh, we're, we're moving a lot of our stuff to Amazon, so I can kind of relate to some of it. I'm not saying it's not all, like those aren't some of the problems. I mean, those are definitely problems when you can't edit the app directly or you can't do anything. But there, keep in mind, they don't run that service for us. They run that service for customers that probably aren't doing a lot of the things we're trying to do with it, you know, because we do some fairly fancy things with ES. And some things that aren't that fancy, they don't work so good. But that's a different problem. Just trying so, to be fair, Cameron. I, He's giving me a dirty look. <laughs> I, I want to I want to talk about some of the things that I like about Splunk Cloud. I know go. we've we've touched on some of them, but um, the 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 hardware cost. I don't have to plan hardware sizing anymore. I don't have to deal with hardware issues anymore because Splunk Cloud takes care of that. One of the things that I've been actually surprised that I find to be a pro because normally this would be an, a negative thing, but the fact that Splunk has direct access to this infrastructure. When I open a ticket with Splunk Cloud and say, I'm having problem X, they don't need me to get a Diag and upload the Diag and find all these logs and do all this testing. They can just do it themselves and find the problem. And they're pretty good about finding problems and fixing them that I'm not sure I would have been able to find with an on-prem system. Yeah, their support, I mean, their support's always been pretty good. They just, uh, I think they, you know, like a lot of companies, they grew really fast. So it took them a while to catch up on some of that stuff. Yeah. And it, again, even as popular as it is, finding Splunk people in general is really hard. <laughs> finding good Splunk people is almost impossible. So take it for what it's worth. I'm sympathetic. Cameron will kill me later. It's fine. He's done it before. I think the thing that I'm most optimistic about is that they are getting better. Like they are yeah. actually learning lessons and implementing, taking customer feedback. Well, I can give you a perfect example of that, actually. Um, one of the things on the list that we haven't talked about is uh, app installation. So one of the things that they used to do, and again, this is, this, is, this is the whole, they're doing it for a more general audience, not for Hurricane Labs. We have to get install, apps installed for a lot of different customers. And we'll say, you know, like Cameron has this really cool thing, which actually I think I'm, I think I'm going to talk about it. I'm not sure I'm going to talk about it, but it's a really cool thing that... Uh, uh, the the GOIP functionality in uh, in Splunk is great, but you know they're they're using a free version of the database and it only gets updated um, regularly. Even on your on-prem stuff, this is not just a Splunk Cloud issue, but even on your on-prem stuff, it only gets updated once in a while. But it only gets updated when you update Splunk your installation update, of like Splunk. Splunk itself. It's actually even worse than that. It's worse. Yeah, it's once every major version of Splunk. Once so every major, four to five. not even like hot fixes or wow, like yeah. middle releases. And and again, it's a that you know that's whatever it is what it is because it's a free database. I mean, 
It's not like they should be expected to do it. The MaxMind people update the database. Um, that's the database they use. I hope I didn't let out a big secret. Uh, <laughs> get over it. It's open source. But the MaxMind people upgrade that free database every 30 days, I think it is. Twice a month, actually. Tw- oh, is it twice a month now? Well, it used for, to be every 30 free days. One? Nice. Yeah. I know. So Cameron here wrote a fancy uh, updater for it so that it'll pull down and update that stuff in Splunk Cloud. It is very not fancy, Um, but... Well, (laughs) listen, it's all in how you sell it, Cameron. I think it's cool. (laughs) It's very fancy because, again, it was a problem we had, and we solved it, and that's fancy. That's good. Most people don't solve their problems. It's fine. They just complain about them. They just complain about them. On a podcast. On a podcast, (laughs) And make their salespeople incredibly uncomfortable. It's even better. But anyway, so Cameron wrote this cool thing, and the thing about it is we've got to get it installed across a couple dozen Splunk Cloud customers. So when you open a ticket for it, well, when you used to open a ticket for it, uh, the response you got was, hey, your app is improved, has been approved. And then you get one that says, hey, your app is installed. And that's fine if you're opening a ticket for one instance and one app, and that's it. It gets really really confusing when it's a couple of dozen of them and you don't know who they're talking about or what they're talking about. So actually just um, Tuesday, I, uh, I I have a weekly call with some of the support folks and uh, I had mentioned it. And now all of a sudden, at least the name of the app is in the subject. And that you can't get, at least the places I go, you can't get better customer service than that. You complain about it on Tuesday and on Thursday, there's a working thing that's kind of fixed it. Yeah, I did notice that. In the yeah, I noticed that today, that all of a sudden the emails have the app name in it. That's hugely, like, that's a that was a big deal for us because we were spending a lot of time going, well, which app was this? Because we don't know. Th- they still don't have the ticket number in the subject for those emails. So I know why that is. It's an internal process issue. Okay. I assure you I can sympathize with this one. Is it group A not talking to group B type thing? It's... Or? it's um. It's more uh, system A, not talking to system ah, B. It actually has nothing okay. to do with people. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like a, you know, they have a build server. They have build stuff sure. uh, on the op side that, that do, does all that. And that's what's sending that message. It's not really uh, the support people. It's not tied to like a actual, the actual support ticket. Okay. But that like, makes sense. But like I said, I mean, I mentioned it on Tuesday. On Thursday, they had at least part of that fix in place. So I was very happy about that. That's cool. Well, now I just... Blew one of the things I was going to talk about, which was Cameron's uh, cool updater. Oh, this is well. a surprise to me. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just delete this entire podcast. So You probably should. No <laughs> one should hear it anyway. I had other things on this list, but I don't know where they went. I blame Kelsey. Yep. As usual. Well, while you're thinking about it, a little last note from me. Make sure you keep checking back to HurricaneLabs.com, our blog, and, and or our social media to keep up with the latest Splunk savvy blog posts. Trevor just had a geostats based. Oh yeah. So yeah, check them out. We've got some cool stuff going on. That was actually the thing I was going to talk about. Oh See? great. There okay. you go. Oh. That's a good segue. I wasn't going to talk about Trevor's thing specifically, but since we were on the topic of geostats, so I don't know why mapping technology does this, but it just does. I, I, Google Maps does it. Everything does it. If you can't find, and you'll notice this when you look at your maps and your other things. I assure you that most of your attacks are not coming from Kansas City or the state of Kansas. Most of your attacks do not originate from there. It's just not, it's not physically possible. So if you, if you have a map of like attackers and things and you see this big, bright thing in the middle of the U.S., 
That's Kansas because it's in the middle of the U.S. And all mapping technologies default to Kansas when it can't figure out the latitude and longitude. So that means somebody did something wrong and you should have them fix it. The data is all everything else is window dressing. The data is what matters. And you've got wrong data. Now, nine times out of 10, that's because somebody's trying to map RFC 1918 addresses. So they're trying to like get a map of 192.168.1.0, which you can't do from like a max mind or something like that. Um, that that's why that happens. It's because the search doesn't return proper latitude, longitude, so it defaults to Kansas City. Again, I don't know why it's Kansas City, other than I think it's, I don't know if it's actually Kansas City, but it's in Kansas. It's like geographically right in the middle of the country, they which I didn't them. know until I learned this. Yeah, I, I didn't know until you pointed it out to me. But Ian and I learned it the hard way because we, were, we built a map for a, for a client. And uh, the client was way up north in Canada. And uh, I said, Ian, do people in Kansas hate Canadians? <laughs> because I didn't know. I thought maybe they did. I, like, I, I was, it was a genuine That's question. a legitimate concern. I thought it was. <laughs> and Ian was like, I don't think so. Probably not any more than anyone ha- else hates Canadians. I was like, Which is probably more than they should. Probably. And then I said, well, why are like 99% of their attackers coming from Canada? And it turned out that uh, they had their uh, they had their I I won't get into it too much, but they had their IDS basically flip flopped. So every attacker looked like the destination instead of the source. So it was kind of just mapped wrong. So we were trying to map a bunch of um, a bunch of internal addresses, and that's that's what ended up being the problem. And miraculously, Kansas stopped hating stopped hating Canada so much. It was weird. So um, it's really important because. What I've noticed, and, and I do this, unfortunately, <laughs> I do this every day now. I work with a lot of customers and I work with a lot of data. I'm unfortunate for the customers, not unfortunate for me. I'm, I'm happy to do my job. But the poor customers have to actually work with me, and it sucks. But what I've noticed that happens is people, you know, they put data into Splunk. And again, it doesn't have to just be Splunk. Um, it could be Elastics. It doesn't matter what it is. People just throw data in and... They think, oh, I'm done. The data's there. And, and really, that's fine in probably an elk stack sort of thing because you don't have to do some of the fancy stuff. But in Splunk world, um, you have to do the field extractions. If you, you want to do anything more than just basic free text searching or full text searching, you, you got to do the work. You have to do the upfront work. The data matters. It's important. You got to know where it comes from. You got to know what it means. You can't just guess. Like I've learned more in the last three weeks about god-awful, um, what's what the logs? Oh, it just went right out of my head. Oh, the Windows security event logs. Oh, yeah. Like, I learned that you can't pay attention to just uh, log on type, which I always thought log on type was the important thing. No, so the, the subtype. Well, there's the subtype, and then there's a result code, yep. and then under the result code, there's a status code. All of that is tied together to tell you what it actually means. There's a reason it's there. Um, and th- Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I had a customer where I was like, hey, that account's password's expired. He was like, no, it's not. You're crazy. Oh, it is expired. I'm like, the result code's right there. That's what it says. And I was, I was very happy to learn. I'm not a Windows guy. Everybody should know that but, by now. But I learned all kinds of things about Windows logs I don't like. And most of them are that I would rather Cameron deal with them than me. I'm a, I'm a recovering <laughs> domain admin, so I feel you That's there. true. You are. Yeah. But yeah, so that's uh, if you learn nothing else from this podcast, because we'll probably have to edit out all the stuff we said about Splunk Cloud. Um, 
If you're learning nothing else from this podcast, that's the important tip of the day. You got to make sure the data actually matters. Not that you've got, you know, 100 gigs worth of data, but that you've got at least 90 gigs worth of that 100 gig that actually tell you something that's actually meaningful to you. So we learned before a couple months ago that you can't magic data. You cannot magic data. And now we're learning that that Splunk can't just magically understand your data. Right. So you have to send it data and then you have to tell it what that data means. Well, again, another example. It's not even that just Splunk can't understand the oh, data. Nothing can. I've been doing this to do. a million years. I'm old, as Kelsey so lovingly pointed out on her last date of employment. Um, <laughs> I'm very old, so I've been doing this a while. And, uh, you know, I made a what I will refer to as a rookie mistake the other day because I kept telling a customer that, hey, this alert's firing for inactive accounts. He goes, but they're not inactive. I'm like, no, it says they're inactive. They, I mean, it gives me a stupid day count of the last time it saw any activity from the account. Well, it turns out it was because the customer didn't tell us all their domain controllers. So we weren't getting data from all the domain controllers. Ah. So these accounts just weren't hitting the domain controllers we were getting data from, but they were hitting the other ones. Right. So Splunk said, hey, that's because Splunk was absolutely correct. It looked expired to it them. It didn't see it. it. It didn't do it. So it's not even like just that Splunk needs to understand the data. Sometimes Splunk understands the data better than the moron me uh, doing it. So then when we learned the domain controllers were the problem, we were able to get them in and life was good. So it goes back to the, you can't magic the data. You cannot right? magic data. You got you to gotta be familiar. Gotta People get, sometimes they get a little upset with us because we're like, look, we, you know, we need this data or we need that data. But it, it really does matter because you don't want our SOC people waking you up at 3 o'clock in the morning because we missed some domain controllers. So... Well, one last thing. This is from the last one, but someone was requesting to hear some more about the improvements to search head clustering resiliency. I don't know if that's opening up a whole other conversation, but do we have any commentary on that at all? On search head clustering? Um, actually, I can tell you that um, I get infuriated when I... Uh, when I go to manage ES, Tim can tell you this. Oh, and it tells you, you can't do that because it's search. You can't do that because it's search head clustering. Oh. Um, <laughs> That's so not, not an improvement. That is not an so, improvement. So not that very resilient me. in that way? Um, no, well, no. no. Uh, what, they, what was, well, it was a trade-off. They, they traded they traded some, some administrative abilities for resiliency. Right. Oh, okay. But in Splunk Cloud, in their defense, and I wish they would just push this change to the regular code train already, um, they have fixed it so you can do that even though it's clustered search ads. I was wondering how that works. Yeah, yeah. So you can actually do it in Splunk Cloud, which is kind of nice. They're for, because you don't you wouldn't have access to do it otherwise. For a lot of the built-in stuff, there's a button you can click to to unlock some of that stuff, so you can make some of those changes. Really? But it doesn't yeah. unlock everything, okay. and it warns you that it could cause bad things to happen. Ah, nice. But with the ES, it's it's not like built-in Splunk okay. stuff. So well, let me tell you how it goes for me, right? Because the big thing I manage or edit is our threat lists and in, in, in that sort of way. So here's how it, exactly it goes for me. Click. I don't have search head. Cl- Tim. That's that's how it goes. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, sounds about right. I open a ticket silently. Yeah, I do not do anything silently. So. <laughs> I, I open the ticket very that. loudly. That's <laughs> right. Both ways work. We still get it <laughs> yeah, done. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I don't know what other features, <laughs> what other improvements there were to it. Okay. Um, we can maybe. I think we talked about those last time, didn't we? Or did we just say we were gonna? 
I don't remember. That was if we like said we were done. We're a bunch of liars because none of us are prepared to. Okay. Um, next time, I'm not sure. Hurricane Love Podcast. Next time, Tim's going to talk all about dirt check coaster. <laughs> Great. Well, put it on the put it on the dock, and I'll make because sure. Because I'm planning to stuff. move all of okay. our coasters to Splunk Cloud, so I don't have to deal with it anymore. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, yep. uh, I'm okay with that. I'll make sure to put in the show notes uh, the latest blog post that I was talking about, the Splunk Geostats by Trevor, and I'll put the Splunk Live various dates and links up there too. So. Awesome. I think that's it. Thank all you right. very much. Well, <laughs> thank you all one person that listens. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. Bye. Yes.